This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 67 and a half. I can get into the reasons why, but don't worry. Today's episode is going to be very informative because I have Olivia Giovetti from our team at Whole Whale here. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Doing well today. And we are going to discuss our approach to content marketing. Uh, so just to start, um, what the heck is... Actually, you know what? Olivia, how did you end up at Whole Whale? Let's give people some context. Who are you? Yeah. Uh, I came to Whole Whale after about 12 years in the classical music industry, doing everything from digital marketing for musicians to journalism, including a stint on the editorial staff at Time Out. So content marketing is kind of my backyard. So content marketing is a concept that if we were playing buzzword bingo, like it would be like the center square, like the square to the center of whatever you're playing. What does content marketing mean when, when you say it? I think everything to a degree is content marketing. I think that you could make the argument that the Bible is content marketing because it is taking a central idea or product or value that you're trying to instill in other people and framing it in a way, either verbally or visually, that inspires people to take action. I always think about it as something that you're giving away kind of something for free. You're giving away information that will actually help somebody. So, you know, if we were in the land of Seth Godin, we're yeah. trying to deliver value for our audience. We're trying to teach them a new thing, a, a how-to, a guide, but we're giving away our knowledge for free. And what happens as a result is that people get to know you, care about you, trust you, and after that point, you've built up, you know, that equity with your audience such that they will buy the widget that you have. Well, if I ran into you on the subway platform or at Starbucks and I immediately said to you, uh, would you marry me? What would you say? Aside, well, aside from the fact that I'm happily married. Okay. Apart from, yes, I am too. But. I would say you're a wackadoodle. Exactly, but once you start, if I started off by doing some, saying something commenting on the book that you were reading or asked you for the time and then we started to establish a connection maybe we ran into each other every morning because we both have the same schedule and we get the same coffee at the same starbucks at the same time then we're building a rapport and then you know two years from now if i say will you marry me that's a much different conversation so it's the equivalent of the first date. So the content marketing is sometimes that first handshake, that first, hey, how you doing, getting to know you type of thing for your brand, for your organization. Uh, and then you ideally have that next step built in place if, you know, you're, if you're content marketing the right way. So wait a minute, is, is a newspaper article content marketing? Mm, content marketing for who? <laughs> okay, so let me pull back and ask. We're, you know, we're talking to a bunch of not-for-profits. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what Whole Whale focuses on. You know, what the heck does content marketing have to do with, you know, maybe helping, if we're talking about power poetry, like why would content marketing matter if what I'm actually trying to do is get more young people to write more poems? Well, if you're trying to get more young people to write more poems, one of the potential barriers to that is how many young people know how to write poems. 
So if you're power poetry and you're putting out articles that are about how to write a poem, how to write an ode, how to write a sonnet, different types of poetry, then all of a sudden you're establishing a connection with your intended audience and bringing them back in once you've established that connection and that emotional resonance. And then maybe they'll be submitting more poetry once they know how to write it. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. You know, you're thinking about also the, the person searching in the moment for looking for, in that case, young people searching because their teacher just gave them the assignment. And once they have the answer to their question, they're more likely to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back and post my poem to this thing that taught me how to write an ode poem uh, or whatever sonnet poetry I've been, I've been assigned to. So, you know, that makes sense for power poetry, but, you know, what about an organization, you know, will go with, like, a, a disease, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, you know, Whole Whale works with uh, aphasia. So how would we approach something like that with aphasia.org? Sure. With aphasia.org, you have a lot of opportunities, especially because so much of content around disease is creating awareness. So if someone is looking for the symptoms of aphasia or what is the diagnosis like for aphasia, what's the, what's the, what are the statistics around it, what are the facts around it, how do you, if you're diagnosed with aphasia, if a loved one is diagnosed with aphasia, what do you do next? So for something like aphasia, when you're trying to create a sense of community around your cause, providing those resources is a very valuable way of showing that you're invested in the lives of people who are affected by this disease and the lives of their family and loved ones. Yeah, and we were able to do this with uh, aphasia, making sure that they were the go-to destination for the topic so that yeah. when you're looking for information about facts on stats and you're ending up on the site and then from there they're able to, to channel them into uh, ways that will support the cause uh, a lot more, right? Because if you have the audience in your backyard, you know what? You can actually talk to them as opposed to not having that intro at all. One of the things you and I were discussing earlier, though, is the curse of knowledge. And I'm sorry, audience listener, you probably have the curse of knowledge. Uh, Olivia, can you explain that in, in your words, what that actually means? Sure. So the curse of knowledge, it's this idea that once you know about something and you know it intrinsically, it can only be that way. There's no other way around it. And this is, if I'm humming to you what I think is the Star Spangled Banner, you may not hear it as that, even though in my head it can't be anything but the Star Spangled Banner, you may think it's Rocket Man by Elton John. Um, it's and, definitely Rocket Man. The answer is always Rocket Man. First off, if you're listening to anybody home, they'll be so happy that you said that. You'll be like, "All right, I can see that." Uh, but I get what you're saying. And conceptually, you know that that curse stays with you. As I can't imagine anyone who doesn't care about my cause. I can't imagine anybody who doesn't understand what aphasia is, which, by the way, is a speech disorder, not technically a disease. So if you are going to sharpshoot me on that, I got gotcha. you. The the idea, though, how do you break out of the curse of knowledge? I'm sitting here. All I can think about. Uh, is what I have in the room, right? I am a you know executive or I'm a content writer for my organization. I look around the room and I'm like, all right, we have you know this information, and that's what obviously people are looking for. But the room only holds what I can think about. How do I get ideas about what other people may be searching for around my topic, my cause, my organization? I think going into it first of all with a natural sense of curiosity and empathy will open you up to 
hearing or experiencing different viewpoints around it. And starting from there, there are a lot of tools like Moz where you can start looking at keywords and finding comparables. Or if you are on Google, even just typing in in an incognito window into Google search, um, something like, well, we'll go back to parapoetry, something like how to write a poem. All of a sudden you'll see other suggested searches come up, how to write an ode, how to write a sonnet, how to write a poem that rhymes, how to write a poem that doesn't rhyme. And then all of a sudden you can start to put yourself empathetically into the your intended audience's shoes and see, oh, I'm a student being assigned how to write a sonnet by my teacher. Maybe I wouldn't think of that as the executive director of Power Poetry because it just seems so intrinsic. That's my bias. But understanding from that angle. Yeah, the autocomplete is amazing yeah. as that kind of tool. And you're searching around for not um, necessarily what you have, but what people want. Mm -hmm. That sort of like an event diagram just touches the edges of your organization. One of the funny things we learned at Power Poetry, which was a surprise to me, well, many things are, uh, was the fact that so many people were looking for love poems for him and love poems for her. I was like, what? And then how to write love poems for him? Because it's love poetry for angsty teenagers. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Now that I understand that they're not humming Rocket Man. You mean as an adult you're not writing love poems for him and love poems for her? Maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe I'm searching for the wrong things. Getting ideas, though. And you can go to Power of Poetry now and get that type of content. I want to come back to the concepts. You know, what are the different ways you think about the types of content marketing content? What kind of buckets do they fall in for you? Where's the low-hanging fruit to start if it's like, all right, look, i got to be honest, I'm busy. Where do I focus my time? There are, there are two ways you can separate out your content strategy. One is in evergreen uh, content and one is in the more dandelion content. So if you're looking at evergreen, you're looking at pieces that, for example, on Whole Whale's website, we have one on Giving Tuesday ideas. That was a very solid, basic article that gets referenced every, much like an evergreen gets used every year at Christmas. We have an article that gains a huge spike in visits around Thanksgiving every year because who's looking for information on Giving Tuesday nonprofits and when are they looking for it? Maybe uh, shortly before Thanksgiving. And that's a plant it, it'll grow, it'll continue to grow and you don't have to worry about it too much. Dandelion content, which is actually um, coming from a background in journalism, something that I'm very accustomed to, is you're catching on, you're catching on the trends of the day, whether that's a long, longer form trend or something that's a blip on the radar a week. But if you have the capacity to catch on to that in the right way, then you have something that can go very quick, very wide, very quickly. And maybe then you can also co-opt that dandelion piece into something more evergreen once it's run its course and just adapt it slightly in order to give it legs beyond a very quick shelf life. Yeah, and I've heard this called like newsjacking and you know, full disclaimer, we kind of just make up categories here, but conceptually, 
they fit for, I think, what we're talking about. One of the things that kind of gets me is the, you know, the idea that if you have a limited amount of time, the, the standard sort of old school way of approaching content marketing is like, oh, just create a blog. Now, maybe we disagree or not here, which is fine, but when you create a blog, it sometimes can devolve into, hey, what's new with the company? What are we doing? Like, let's finally give people like an insider into the organization's workings. And like, that's not helping SEO. That may help for transparency. That may help for like deeper engagement, but I'm pretty sure that like there's nobody searching for like the whole whale staff retreat right now. And that's what would be on our like company blog. What is your thoughts on blog versus the type of content we just discussed? I think the type of content we just discussed can live on a blog. I don't think there's anything that's keeping that from being the content trajectory of your blog. And you can think of it sort of in the same way that none of us really eat only one type of food for none of us. I I don't think any of us is subsisting entirely on Soylent at this point. Um, (laughs) We may have one developer doing that right now, but (laughs) for the most part, I wish I were kidding. Um, but when you're having, when you're looking at what you eat in the day, when you're looking at what you eat in a meal, even you're having this balance of protein and fiber and maybe some starch and maybe some sugar and a little bit of fat every now and then, you know, you have this variety that makes for a balanced meal and you can look at your blog strategy in a very similar way. Maybe there are times when you really need to share some news about your company that's actually of interest or maybe it is for transparency and that's just keeping that sort of track regular um and depending on what type of organization you are that may be very important we're seeing in the profit world for example etsy going through that right now with a change in uh a change in director and so they need to up their transparency game quite a bit for that yeah i i think looking at maybe some of the metrics coming back to what we're measuring in mm-hmm. terms of like, why the heck have I created all this content? What are some of the measures that you look for uh, in an organization to, to tell that this was worth it? To tell that this is worth it, you want to make sure that you are seeing some sort of goal being met at the end of the day, whether that is encouraging people at the end of the post to sign up for your newsletter or to send them to specific pages within your website, a donate page or a cause page or an auction page. Um, and you also want to be seeing where your, where your link is being shared. That may be sharing on other websites, other reputable websites is always great. If you can get a link back from the New York times, that, really satisfies your pro tip get a link back from the new york times just just get a link from the new york times it's easy call them up i'm sure they'll take your call um but also if you are writing content that engages people on an emotional level either in the angering way which for many nonprofits is a very useful tool if people are angry and you're offering a constructive way to channel that anger that's a great combination. If you're also getting people inspired or excited, these high, these high energy emotions, that's the stuff that gets shared on, on Facebook. Yeah, and so obviously all of these things can be quantified, but the big point here is that, you know, if you're just creating content, and this is important, if you're just creating content that is of the, you know, the helpful variety, the evergreen or dandelion or whatever it is, if there is no call to action, 
if there is no next step, you've basically just sort of like, you know, helped out humanity, of course, with your brilliant content, but you haven't actually done content marketing. You've just done content. Yeah. You've created content, and then hopefully there's like some sort of like nice glow of your brand that stays with them. But more likely than not, it's it's not going there. In general, you know, in terms of the metrics that you know I look for, it's the Google Analytics classic organic traffic. How many people have come to your site from these searches, the non-brand searches? When I say brand, it means at whole, like the whole whale, like somebody already knows us, types it in. Um, that sometimes gets bundled in there. I care about the people, as you know, Olivia, you said before, that type in maybe the nonprofit conferences, top nonprofit conferences, or you know, the the Giving Tuesday ideas. That's actually well, how I first came to Whole Whales website. Stop even it. before I um, even before I applied here, I had a client in my last job who wanted to do something for Giving Tuesday didn't know what they wanted to do. And so in just generating a bunch of ideas, I looked up what to do for Giving Tuesday and wouldn't you know, Whole Whale's website comes up first. And that was the first time you found us? That was the first time I found you We guys. content marketed you? You content marketed me. Oh my gosh, this podcast comes full circle. <laughs> Somehow you'd think I would have planned this. I didn't, uh, that's really funny. So you can see that you know general visibility can lead to things like Olivia. I'm glad, I'm glad you read our content. But getting back to the point there, hopefully you were, while reading this, you know, one of the things we look for, again, just on the metric side is like increased organic traffic, coming to our site, how many people this month versus the month last year, uh, how much of a percent increase am I getting, which articles, landing pages, meaning the first page of the site are you coming to, and then what you were talking about, those conversions, if I'm tracking shares, if I'm tracking email acquisition for us, a lot of it is email acquisition. We use a tool called SumoMe. And do you want to talk about the different ways maybe we use uh, SumoMe to, to pull in things? So one is like the obvious, the, the pop-up. Um, and then we have the content locker. What are, you know, what is like the content locker thing that we're doing? Content locker, that's a fun one. Um, when you get into an article that you really want to be reading, and all of a sudden, and a lot of news websites are doing this as well, you get right before the juicy bit and to read the rest of this article. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Sign up with your email address. Could, uh, it's, I guess it could be phrased as like content jerk, almost. <laughs> I'm glad they don't call it that because then you wouldn't use it. Uh, we try to be a little fairer, I'll say, in the way Whole Whale uses it. We do give away the, like, the general information, but for instance, if you want to download um, a large social media report, these white papers, you'll see this pretty pretty regularly. Well, we'll give away a good amount of information, enough that you hopefully get your question answered. Uh, and then the bottom will be like, hey, submit your email to get this, you know, this thing from us. If all and I have to do is give my email to get a really well thought out, well researched uh, study that's going to be useful for me, you can have my email. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty easy, easy threshold to cross. And I think it's becoming more of a standard. So if you are sort of like sort of cringing in your headphones right now, I don't blame you because I was among you. Uh, I was among you when, you know, we started using more and more pop-ups, frankly, to, to do sort of targeted things. And I, I believe in a responsible pop-up use where you're using cookies to track things, but it kills me, right? It kills me to be like, all right, let's use these tactics because I know they're slightly annoying. However, I, um, I was overwhelmed by the data, yeah. and the data clearly showed increased 
acquisition rates of people offering their emails up. They weren't high exit rates or bounce rates after I enabled these things. Those are two key metrics that I was personally looking for. I was actually trying to prove the case that we shouldn't do it because we were pissing people off. You know, and I think the sort of, you know, the the permission marketing basis is understood. The idea that, look, I'm going to trade my email. They're going to treat it respectably. Uh, they're not going to spam me. They're going to give me value in exchange for this. Uh, has become better of a handshake. So just know if you're cringing, being like, I'm not going to do that, I encourage you to at least run a test. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that as for like time out. Well, I actually was also very, I, I was a cringer. I, I hated giving my email address out. I hated the pop-up ads. I hated the, no thanks, I'd rather pay full price than get 50% off at Banana Republic today. But when you lower your resistance to something, it's actually not a huge deal. It's not like you're being asked for your firstborn. It's not like you're being asked for your security, uh, your social security number or your bank pin. You're really just be, being asked to either X out of a pop-up or provide your email address for in exchange for some premium content. It's not the worst exchange in the world. It's pretty much just a high, it, the internet's version of a high five. <laughs> high five. You know, as we move to a close here, uh, Let's just wrap up why somebody, here's the fundamental question, what kind of like return can I expect and why should I try content marketing, where should I start, that kind of genre of question for you, for mm. somebody listening. I think in terms of where you can start, start by seeing the way people are accessing your website. Look at your Google Analytics, look at the search terms that are landing people there, look at the most popular pages ask why these are the most popular pages, start to go into Google in an incognito window and see what people are searching for, see what people, see what your, your competition may be positioning itself as and see how you can either be mirror that or provide the flip side of that. And in terms of the return, set your, set your goal first. Is it that you want to build out your email, email list? Is it that you want to drive traffic to a specific page? Is it that you want to increase your donations? Once you have an idea of what your goal is, then start building content around that. And without you know putting SEO at the front of mind or without trying to like, bludgeon people over the head with this one goal, let the goal set the theme. So if you're, for example, having a risotto as a main course, you're not going to serve rice as a side. You may serve a salad as a side. Yeah, I like the idea of looking <laughs> rice and risotto. Somebody hasn't had lunch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The, yeah, the metrics for me are a great way of looking at it. Was this worth it? Because everything we're trying to do is evaluate it. You know, this is uh, usually the number one thing. Once we use the, you know, the different tactics of whole whale going through, we make sure that analytics are set up properly. We then obviously take advantage of the Google AdWords grants. But then once you're done with this sort of like pay to play, this is the, the big way to earn that traffic. There's a trillion searches a day on that stupid platform called Google, right? Capturing where people are asking questions, capturing where people are finding information is how you're going to grow your audience, is how you're going to grow your cause. And so if you buy into that, you know, 
I think content marketing is, is how you approach this. And it's, it's a nice way of thinking about it because you're delivering value for people that are potentially interested in your cause. And it's time well spent one way or the other because you are moving people's uh, opinions and thoughts and information forward while at the same time, you know, growing what matters, hopefully for your organization. All righty. Um, any final questions or thoughts from you, Olivia, before we sign off today? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, but I will save that for another podcast. All right. Thoughts to come in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today on our mini, we'll call it training. This feels like a training episode on content marketing. And uh, if you want to find more resources, wholewhale.com slash podcast. And we're going to call this 67 and a half. I can explain why, but whatever. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us.